All right, I want to start out by apologizing to all the parents of middle schoolers and family of middle schoolers. I don't think I've ever abruptly stopped a lesson so fast they probably all have whiplash over there. It was like, renew your minds, let's break. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, I don't think I've ever taught both sides before. I told Justin this is like spiritual crossfitting. <laughs> Whoo! I was so nervous I was going to go over over there, and I was like watching, and I hustled over here. Um, so, if you have your Bibles, turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 1. 1 Corinthians chapter 1. I probably should have made sure that all my pages were properly aligned while I was back there so that I could start over on this thing. Um, so Justin taught Sunday, uh, and he taught about divisiveness in the church. And I kind of agree with Justin's analysis that, you know, as you look at the book of 1 Corinthians, he kind of wanted to start at chapter 5 and let's jump in and start dealing with the sin. Let's start dealing with the issues that they have. But I really love what Paul has done here because when you start dealing with issues, you really want to begin to start working with the thought process and with the mindset. Um, if you go to 1 Corinthians chapter 1, which everybody did but me uh, while I was talking, so let me get there real quick. 1 Corinthians chapter 1. In verse 10, which is where Justin started last week, it starts out and it says, Now I exhort you, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you all agree and that there be no divisions among you. He was talking about there's all this divisiveness in the church. And he goes on to say in that verse, and he says, and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be made complete in the same mind. And that really jumped out to me. And it says, in the same mind and in the same judgment. Well, generally speaking, and this is not an all-encompassing statement, this isn't the only way that it works, but generally speaking, divisiveness and issues that you come across in the church start in our minds. The way we think and the way we allow ourselves to think. Um, because ultimately, and where we're going with this, is ultimately there is a mindset that is exactly perfect, exactly right, without error, and it is the mind of God. But here's the thing. How many people in this room right now have a mind? We all have a mind, every single one of us. And the thing is, is our goal is to grow our minds. That's what you guys do every day, I would assume. You're in school right now. You're growing your minds. You're here tonight. You're growing your minds. You're growing your understanding, your perspective, your understanding. Those are the things that you're working on. And we want to do that, but we want to make sure that we're doing that in the right way. Because it's very easy to grow a mind that is incorrect. And within the church, there are issues that can arise because now you can have mindsets that are outside of the confines and aligned with the mind of God. And we can, outside of the church, have perspectives in the world that are not aligned with God's perspective, but they align with the world. 
We can have mindsets in our families that don't align with God, but they align with the world. The challenge that we've got is the fact that we have minds that need to be worked on. Disunity in the church and even outside of the church, in our families and in relationships, a lot of times starts in our minds. Um, a few months back, I taught a lesson of choice, and I taught in Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. One of my favorite verses, passages, trust in the Lord with all your heart and, all, uh, and lean on your understanding in all your ways. Acknowledge him, and he will direct your paths. I love that passage. Um, I've used that passage a lot, meditated on it. Um, going through hard things, woken up in the middle of the night and just quoted that verse and thought about that verse and meditated on that verse. Um, and it's brought a lot of peace. In that lesson, I had asked, where do we tend to put our trust? And we got a lot of different answers. Um, people uh, tend to put their trust in people. We put our trust in our spouses, our parents, our friends, our bosses, coworkers, we trust in the good in people. Uh, we put our trust in money, cash, 401ks, social security, <laughs> income, our jobs. Um, we tend to put our trust in that. We our, put our trust in our possessions, our cars, our houses, things that we have. Um, our reputation, we you know, put our trust in our own reputations. Um, technology. Um, we, uh, I just got off a 10 and a half hour plane flight. You'd have loved it, Justin. It was awesome. Um, but we put our trust in that plane for 10 and a half hours that we didn't land in the middle of the Atlantic somewhere. We put our trust in that. We put our trust in the government, in laws, and the military. But one of the things that we talked about is we put our trust in our own minds, in our knowledge, in our own understanding, in our perspective. Um, and I use the example... One of the greatest uh, groupings of knowledge in the entire world is the Library of Congress. And do you guys remember this? I kind of shared this. We've talked about the Library of Congress has 173 million different works and documents that they have. And we talked about the fact that um, if we, if any one of us were to completely consume, and when I say consume, no, one document a week, I mean, know everything about that book, about that work of art, about that record, about that whatever it is. Every document, completely consume it. Know every perspective, every cross T, dotted I, how many pages, who wrote it, what their motivation was. Everything that we could possibly know about that document. And we completely consumed it and 100% retained it. If we did one a week, it would take us 3,326,923 years to consume the information that's in the Library of Congress alone. The Library of Congress does not contain all the information that's in the world. And on top of that, when we got at the end of 3,326,923 years, we would have 3,326,923 years of new information that we now have to consume. Our minds are completely limited. We don't know. But God does. 
God knows everything that could possibly be known about every one of those documents in the Library of Congress. And on top of that, he knows everything about everything that is outside of the walls of the Library of Congress in the entire world, in the entire universe, anything that ever has been, everything that is and everything that will be, God knows everything about. It says he knows every grain of sand. We think about that as amazing because we see the beaches, but do we not run, understand that the sand goes throughout the entire world under every ocean is sand and God knows every grain of sand every particle of dirt, every hair on every head. Our wisdom and our understanding is so finite, but we are called to do something with our minds. We're to grow our knowledge, we're to grow our understanding. We do that every single day in school, in church, at, uh, at work. We grow our minds, we grow our understanding. But ultimately, in Romans 12, 1 and 2, as if you are a believer in Jesus Christ, if you are saved, you have a new mind. And it says in Romans 12, 1 and 2, it says, I appeal to you, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is our spiritual worship. That's what we're called to do. That's what we owe to God as in that we are his slaves. He is our master and we are his slaves. That is the relationship. And it says in verse 2, do not be conformed to this world. How do we not be conformed to this world? But be transformed by the renewing of your minds. Our minds are to be renewed, changed, transformed that by testing you may discern what the will of God is, uh, what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. God desires to give you and I his mind. That's an amazing thing. That's an amazing blessing. God, who is God creator, and we talked about all the things that he knows, he's omniscient, he knows everything. He's all powerful. He's all good. He wants us to have his mind. So, whenever you enter, uh, we enter this passage talking about uh, the divisions in the church. It applies to so many different things. Um, sorry, I've got to read in my pages here. So, the title of our lesson tonight is God's Wisdom versus man's wisdom. God's wisdom versus man's wisdom. Point number one, the superiority of God's wisdom. The superiority of God's wisdom. I'm going to read this passage very quickly and then we're going to walk through it. We really only have four points and like, and two application points. God's wisdom versus man's wisdom. 1 Corinthians 1, 18 through 25 starts out and it reads, For the word of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. In other words, God's word, what's contained here, is foolishness to those that are not saved. That's what that's saying. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. 
completely different perspective. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and the cleverness of the clever I will set aside. Where is the wise man? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of the age, of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world through its wisdom did not come to know God, God was well pleased through the foolishness of the message preached to save those who believe. For indeed, Jews ask for signs and Greeks search for wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified to Jews a stumbling block and to Gentiles foolishness. But to those who are the called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. Because the foolishness of God is wiser than men and the weakness of God is stronger than men. So, point number one is the superiority of God's wisdom. It says, for the word of the cross. It starts out, says, the word of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. You know, what's interesting is we have, a lot of us have had the opportunity to grow up up in church and hear God's word taught a tremendous amount. And so we're very comfortable with it. We understand it. We kind of get it. We know the language. We know the cadence of it. We kind of, it kind of makes sense. But here's the thing. The truth of God's word is not understood apart from the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. Apart from salvation, true understanding is, it's, we don't have it. Let me give you an example of this. Peter, the apostle that on this rock, I will build my church, Jesus said. Um, and whenever I was reading this and I was looking at this, um, so last week, Mandy and I, we were standing in St. Peter's Basilica in Rome. And we got to see this. It was amazing. It was an amazing building. I will tell you what, we had to bite our tongues a lot as we were being walked through. And they were talking about, oh, and this is what this means. And oh, this is what this means from a Roman Catholicism point of view. And we were like, Mm-mm, no, 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 that's not what that means. Oh, that. So, but anyways, we were like, okay, we still, it's a pretty place. But Peter, he did not understand the work of the cross when he first heard it. He didn't understand it. He didn't get it. Matthew chapter 16, verse 21. You don't have to turn there. You can if you want, but I'm going to read it. Jesus is foretelling his death and his resurrection. It says in Matthew 16, verse 21, it says, from that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem And suffer many things from the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised. Very simple. There is no confusion to what was just said. I'm going to go to Jerusalem. I'm going to suffer many things at the hands of the chief priests. They're going to kill me and I'm going to be raised. Very crystal clear, right? And Peter took him to the side and began to rebuke him. Peter began to rebuke Jesus. 
do what? And he said to him, far be it from you, Lord, this shall never happen to you. Peter's mind and his perspective was tainted by the mindset of the Jewish people in the day that they lived. The Jewish people uh, were being occupied by Rome. They wanted a military savior. They wanted somebody that's going to come in and kick out the Romans, reestablish the dominance of uh, of Israel and the seed in Jerusalem and be the power in the world that they knew that, that God had promised them. That's what they wanted and that's what they were looking for. Peter had grown up his whole life being taught that and understanding that. And when Jesus came and said, hey, here's what we're going to do. I'm going to go to Jerusalem. I'm going to suffer and I'm going to be put to death. It did not match up with his mindset, with his perspective, because it seemed as foolishness to him. Jesus responded to Peter. And it says, but he turned and said to Peter, get behind me. Satan. Ouch. He said, you are a hindrance to me for you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. Peter needed to have his mind transformed. That's what he needed. He had been around Jesus. He had heard the lessons. He had seen the miracles. And he didn't understand. You can come to church. You can hear the messages. You can see the things happening. You can hear the testimony of the missionaries. And it doesn't mean anything until you have a transformed mind. The only way you have a transformed mind is through salvation in Jesus Christ and an indwelling of the Holy Spirit. That is it. When the soldiers came to the garden to arrest Jesus, what did Peter do? Peter still did not understand. He tried to interfere with God's plan. He drew a sword and he cut off a slave's ear. Stop, we're not doing this. Jesus stopped him. He needed to be transformed. He needed to be changed. His mindset was not correct. When man elevates his own wisdom, and this is what was happening, and it happens with all of us, when we elevate our own wisdom, we automatically attempt to lower God's wisdom and devalue God's wisdom, which looks to us like foolishness because it conflicts with our own thinking. And we see that the world does that every single day. God's word conflicts with the world's thinking, so they try to devalue God's word. So, point number one is the superiority of God's wisdom. That's the point that Jesus, that Paul is making to the Corinthians when it comes to the mindset that they had within the church and this disunity, and then eventually this sin that's being exhibited and displayed in the church that needs to be dealt with. It starts with our minds. And it, the minds start with the salvation, genuine salvation. So he tar- starts out and he's saying, 
God's mindset is the mindset to have, the superiority of God's wisdom. Number two is the, the permanence of God's wisdom. The permanence of God's wisdom. It says in verse 19, For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, and the cleverness of the clever I will set aside. How will he destroy the wisdom of the wise? How will he do that? Men and women, not just men, are inclined to try to solve their problems and fight their battles by their own ingenuity and by their own power. I am guilty of this. This is something I personally struggle with, and it's something I know you struggle with because this is a common struggle. We tend to try to solve things ourselves, figure things out ourselves. And if we can't figure it out, then we'll begin to pray about it. Then we'll begin to seek the God about it. Because uh, I, can't, I, I can't figure this out, so I guess I need to go to God. We tend to start with ourselves, which is an incredibly wrong thing to do because we see that God wants to give us his mind. He wants to give us wisdom, which wisdom comes from the Holy Spirit. It's one of the things that we're taught in Scripture that the Holy Spirit, the function of the Holy Spirit is to give us wisdom. Men are inclined to do that. The problem is, and within the confines of the church, what Paul was addressing in 1 Corinthians is they had all these issues. They had all these different people. They had all these different mindsets that were different. And for example, um, my mindset and my ingenuity and my wisdom is going to be different than Edwin's mindset and ingenuity and perspective. Because he's got a whole set of things that he's experienced, seen, done that I've not done. And I've got a whole set of experiences that I've done that he's not done. And so if we base it on our own minds and our own perspectives, then there's a chance that there's going to be disunity within the church. There's going to be disunity between us. But the goal is for me to not have the mindset of myself or for Edwin to have his own mindset, but for us to both have the mindset of God. That's the goal within the church. And that's the goal that we should all have because it permeates into every aspect of our lives. The mindset that we have permeates into your schooling, into your relationships in your family, into your relationships with a spouse, into the relationships with your children, into your business and your work and your friendships, and your ministry here in the church. I mean, it affects everything. And so it is so important that we have a mindset of transforming our minds so that we are aligning our mindsets with Scripture. That's the goal. And that's part of what Paul is trying to get across to these Corinthians. Let's change your mindset because your mindset is foolishness. We have to get your mindset transformed to the mind of Christ and in line with Scripture. Um, human ingenuity and power only get in God's way. They get in God's way. It would be as if, let's say, I use this as a very loose uh, analogy or example, not analogy, example. Let's say 
God and I are in a car driving, and he's riding. He's driving, and I'm in the front seat. God's driving, okay? I'm sitting there, and I say, this is where we're going, and I see the exit coming up. Would it be wise for me to reach over and grab the wheel and turn so that we could exit? No. That's not a good idea, whoever is driving, (laughs) period. But what would make me think that it would be a good idea for me to take hold of that steering wheel and direct the car? That would be foolishness, wouldn't it? I mean, that would be straight up crazy. We do that every day. We do that every day. Hey, you know what? I'm going to take control of this situation. I'm going to do what I think is best. We've already established the preeminence of God's wisdom. What would make me think that God doesn't know what he's doing? What would make me question his judgment and what he, where he's going and how he's going and where we're going and how fast we're going? It would be foolishness for me to try to interfere with him driving the car. Here's the thing. God is driving the car. Whether you realize it or not, whether I realize it or not, God is driving the car and we're going to get there at the pace and the time and the way that he says we're going to get there. My goal is to align myself with the one that's driving the car. That should be my goal every day. And that's what he, Paul was trying to get into the minds. I don't think he used a car analogy with the Corinthians, but that's what he was trying to do. He's trying to get them to change their mindset and change their thinking. Men's own efforts hinder God in his work rather than help him. We're just a hindrance, not a help. Proverbs 14, 12 says, there is a way which seems right to a man. That's what Solomon says, but in its end, it's the way of death. Peter thought he was right in pulling Jesus to the side and rebuking him. But was that wise? No, that was not wisdom. That was his perspective. That was the opposite of wise. That was foolishness. But he thought it was right. One example of a wrong perspective that impacts us is and we've talked about this before, this is the scariest passage in Scripture, an example of wrong thinking regarding salvation is Matthew seven twenty two. Matthew seven twenty two says, Many will say to me on that day, the day of judgment, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name cast out demons and in your name perform many miracles? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. There will be people that have the mindset that I did this right. And Jesus is going to say, I ne- depart from me, I never knew you. Why? Because they relied on their own minds to achieve salvation instead of aligning themselves with the truth of God's word. And gratefully, the truth of God's word is so simple. The truth of God's word says very simply this, 
God is a perfect God that demands perfection and holiness and righteousness. And we, you and I, are sinful people. There does, isn't a day that goes by that we do not sin. We don't have the wrong motives, attitudes, actions, thoughts. We sin every day. But the God that's perfect and holy and righteous loves us so much that he desires a relationship with us. And he says, this is what I'm going to do. I can't have a relationship with you because you're a sin, sinner, Craig. Sinful, wicked, black-hearted soul. Can't have a relationship with you, but I want one. So here's what I'm going to do for you, Craig. And this, you can put your name into this. I'm going to have my son, God himself, come down in flesh in the form of Jesus Christ. And he's going to live this perfect life with not one single sin. And he's going to live that life that you should have lived. And then here's what's going to happen. I'm going to take him and I'm going to have him pay the debt, the penalty that your life deserves. And that's death and separation from God. And I'm going to let you take the reward that he gets for living that perfect life and apply it to yourself. And I'm going to view you as if you lived that life. And all you have to do is accept that and submit yourself to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. It's very simple. And God offers that because he loves us so much. And here's what we do. We say, I think I would have to give up too much. I don't think I'd be able to hang out with the friends I want to hang out with. I don't think I'd be able to do what I want to do and go where I want to go and have the freedoms that I want to have. But the cost is eternal separation from God for all eternity. Now, is that wisdom or is that foolishness? That's foolish thinking. Gratefully, God continues to reach out to us. He continues to present the truth of his word to us every moment of every day. When we walk outside, it says that the heavens declare the glory of God and the firmament shows his handiwork. We see God in everything and he is declaring himself to us. He desires that, and that's the wisdom of God. So, number two was the permanence of God's wisdom. Number three is the limited wisdom of man. The limited wisdom of man. Verse 20 says, where is the wise man? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of this world? This verse teaches that, Paul, that human wisdom is unreliable and imper, uh, impermanent. To continue that thought, Paul asked several questions, and really what Paul is getting at here is he's saying, where are all the smart people that have all the answers? Where are all these smart people that have all these answers? Because they don't work. And everything that we know now continues to, uh, in the world, from the world's perspective, 
we continue to change. At one point, they thought the world was flat. And those were the smartest people in the world. Apparently, there's still people that think the world is flat. And they think that they're the smartest people in the world. World man's wisdom is not wisdom compared to God. There are definitely smart people. And I don't want you to go home and say, hey, you know what, mom and dad? We don't need to do school anymore. Because Craig said wisdom is, the, is just foolishness. That's not what I'm saying. You still need a good mind. You still need to grow your mind. We still need to, because those are minds that God has given to us. And we're to be good stewards of what God has given to us. Um, but what he's saying is, where's the wise man? Where's the scribe? All these people, that, where's the debater of this age? How, how is it that we have all these people that are wise, but we're no more closer to uh, peace today than we were uh, um, a thousand years ago? We still have homelessness. We still have poverty. We still have hunger. We still have ignorance. Um, we still have crime. We still have immorality. Those things haven't gone away because of wisdom, man's wisdom. Our advances in knowledge and technology and communication, uh, they've advanced us in some ways, but the root issues of sin are still there. They have not changed. And the thing is, is that's what Jesus came to change, is he came to change our hearts and to change our eternity. That's what he came to change. Not our comfort today, but our comfort for eternity. Because he had the right perspective. Because he had God's perspective. And we don't. Um, human wisdom sometimes sees the immediate cause of a problem, but it does not see the root of the problem which is generally and almost always sin. And Jesus came to deal with the root problem, our sin. And we tend to focus on the surface issues and our worldly perspective on those things. So number, that was number three. Number four and last point is the power of God's wisdom. The power of God's wisdom. Verse 21 says, For since in the wisdom of God the world through its wisdom did not come to know God, God was well pleased through the foolishness of this message preached to save those who believe. God does not expect men to come to him through their own wisdom. God doesn't expect that. He knows that they cannot. We cannot, you and I, in fact, collectively, everybody in this room, if we took the accumulative amount of all of our wisdom and knowledge, we cannot save ourselves. We can't attain salvation through our own wisdom. But we can come through his wisdom. And he wants us to. He desires us to. And the way that we come to him through his wisdom is to follow and be obedient to what he has revealed to us in his word. It's real simple. Transform our minds. That's what he desires for us to do. Isaiah 55.8 says, 
For my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. The way God does things is different than the way we do things. And I'm grateful for that because the way God does things is he takes into account everything that could possibly be known. And he takes in everything that he desires that's good for us and loving and caring and just and merciful. And he provides all of that information and he reveals it to us in his word. And then we get the opportunity to transform our minds by applying what we learn here into our minds so that we can be better servants of Jesus Christ. That's what he desires of us. And as we do that, and as we transform our minds, and we become like-minded with him, then what happens is everybody in this group that is doing it at the same time and striving towards that same goal, we become like-minded with Christ. And now you have a group of people that are striving together with the same mind and the same attitude and the same goals and the same desires, and that removes divisiveness because we are focused on our common goal, and our common goal is the mind of Christ. And that's what Paul was trying to get across to the, first, to the Corinthians. We need to have the mind of Christ. And as we do that, then we can begin to deal with the issues, because now when we deal with the issues, with the sin, everybody's going to say, you know what, let's be obedient to the truth of the revealed word of God. Let's be obedient to what the Holy Spirit is directing us towards. Let's be obedient to what the truth of Scripture is and not do what we think is right in our own minds or what the world says or what the world's attitudes are. I got two application points for you. Number one, first app, this is not really an application point. We kind of shared it through this. The only way that we have a renewed mind, it starts with salvation if you haven't come to a point in your life that you're willing to submit yourself to the Lordship of Jesus Christ and to accept that transfer of his life for yours and the life that he lived, I challenge you to submit your thought process about that to the truth of God's word. Because if you stand on your own wisdom and reject that, you are destined to eternal separation in hell. Very simply. I challenge you to do that. As a believer, our goal to be, should be to renew our minds. So two application points. Number one, submit your mind and your thinking to the truth and wisdom of God as shown in Scripture. Everything that you desire and you think and you want, test it against the truth of God's Word. It's like being a Berean. That's what, uh, the, that's what the goal is. And if we're all doing that and we're all aligning ourselves with this, there will be unity of mind and spirit in this body. That's what's desired. Number two, test what you hear 
and are taught and what you study against the truth and wisdom of God as shown in Scripture. You guys are being taught every single day. Um, our kids, whenever they went to college, Davis and Faith, I mean, they shared with us things that they were being taught at North Texas. And the worldly mindset that was being presented to them. And gratefully, uh, it, it affected them a little bit. You know, you'd see some, uh, but I love the fact that they were grounded and they took what they heard and they tested it against scripture. And they went through that and they came out the other side and they said, yes, I heard this, but this is what the truth of God's word says. That brought us a lot of joy. You and I need to do that every day. Test what we hear, what we study, what we read, and what we're taught against the truth of God's word. Don't just accept it because somebody's got a tie on or in a pulpit or standing at the front of a class or got a professor title. Don't believe it just because they say it. Test everything. Let's close in prayer. Father, we do thank you that you have given us your word, that you desire a relationship with us, that you, have, that you truly love us so much that you are willing to give your son, the Lord Jesus Christ, to live the life that we should have lived, that we can, Father, have a way of being made justified to you. Father, we thank you that you desire to transform our minds. We thank you, Holy Spirit, that you work in us to renew our minds, to create a mind that is conformed to the likeness of your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, that conforms to the truth of your word. But, Father, we do recognize that we are so impacted by the things of this world and our minds are uh, drawn away, even as Peter was whenever he uh, rebuked the Lord Jesus Christ. Father, it's so simple for us to have a mind that Satan affects and is warped in our thinking, but we pray, Father, that you would renew our minds, that you give us wisdom and discernment, that we would align ourselves with the truth of your word, that, Father, our goal for that would be to be a part of this body of Christ that is striving towards like-mindedness and seeking to serve and minister together towards the common goal of the advancement of the truth of your word. Uh, I pray, Father, that you would allow us to uh, continue to grow in our understanding, that we would see you at work in everything around us every single day. I pray, Father, that you'd protect us uh, from the way that Satan would seek to dis destroy us and to destroy our minds and to draw us away from the truth of your word. Father, we commit ourselves to you. We pray that you would uh, bless us as we go throughout the remainder of this week, that you'd guide and direct us. We commit ourselves in Jesus' name. Amen.